Hello and welcome back to episode 112 of Camera Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, I'm joined by Andy Bounds. Andy was awarded the title Britain's Sales Trainer of the Year and is an expert in communication and improving the success of businesses as well as individual careers. Andy's worked in over 40 countries with some of the world's largest and most famous companies, as well as with governments, professional bodies, business experts, and sports teams. I was so excited to get Andy on the podcast because he's somebody that much of my sales training in one of my previous roles was based around his training and his core concepts. And one of his core beliefs is that afters drive everything. It's not what you say that counts, it's what people do afterwards and after you've said it that really matters. Inevitably, in this conversation, we're going to learn how to communicate better ourselves, how to sell more and be more successful. That's a pretty good set of achievements in my book, and I'm really excited for you all to hear this one. The key areas that we dive into in terms of topics include what communications we need to stop in the workplace and in business, how to replace wasteful communication with something more impactful, and how communicating more clearly can be achieved by taking the other party's perspective into account. You also will find out about how Andy cut his working week to four days while growing his business and how you can implement some of the measures he took in your own business or in your own career. This episode mainly focuses on improving the impact of our communications and getting the most out of our time, but I do sneak in some sales questions based on Andy's expertise in this area, and I'm sure you'll enjoy his perspective and his advice in this area. Today's podcast is supported and sponsored by Crypto Glasgow Consultancy. Crypto Glasgow founders Don Cameron and Deck Kelly have appeared in the podcast three times now as guests, sharing the principles that are behind the most exciting and volatile investment market there is, cryptocurrency. And in the last 12 months, it's been extremely exciting for me to be involved in as well. The crypto space is vast, it's growing, and you can easily get lost in the noise as well as some of the misinformation and negativity that surrounds the market. It certainly differs as an asset class to invest in and the Crypto Glasgow team have over 20 years combined experience to help you navigate this confusing marketplace. No matter whether you're somebody that is a long-term investor or you're somebody that's got a three to five year timeline or even if you're somebody that has a shorter, more trader-like mindset towards cryptocurrency, Crypto Glasgow have a range of services to support you through that. They have a level up guide, a startup guide, you can get a one-on-one consultation or you can join the Discord chat. I am in the Discord chat and I can get daily information on what's going on within the markets, what the different use cases are for each coin, and you can dive into some of the technical charts as well. There's a tremendous level of support available to you and education needs to come first, even though it might be a really exciting market and you've seen somebody make 40, 50, 60, or even hundreds of percent gains on an asset, it's important that you understand it before you dive into it. So Crypto Glasgow have got you covered. You can visit their website, which is www.ccgla.co.uk to learn more today and pick the service that's going to support you in your investment journey. That'll be linked in the show notes below. And I'm sure you've enjoyed the recent episodes with the guys and they offer even more when you look on their website. Without any further ado from me, let's get into this one right now with Andy Bounds. Hello and welcome back to Cambro Conversations. Today's conversation, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Bounds. Andy, thanks for joining me. You're very welcome, Colin. Nice to be here. Great to have you on. And we were joking before we hit record that you were uh, 
laughing at the the audience demographic being a little younger than those that you normally speak to but I'm sure we're still going to have lots of valuable insights for them well hopefully yeah um, hopefully it's just nice some old man shouting some stuff at them so let's see how we get on yeah, well, I was telling you, I've learned a lot from your content over the years, particularly the Tuesday Tips email and much of my sales and communications training in one of my roles, which has really formed the basis of my career so far, was based around some of your training as well. So I certainly know that there's lots and lots that we can get into. But for the audience, who is Andy Bounds? So I help my clients to communicate better and to sell more and therefore to be more successful as a result. And that's actually it, Colin. So I might deliver those outcomes through training or speaking at conferences or writing stuff for him or helping them write stuff. But ultimately, communication gets better, sales get better, success goes up. That's what I do. Yeah, and the way you communicate that is obviously all important as well because, like you say, that could apply in so many different ways and forms. You didn't ram a solution down my throat before we've even started. You've quite simply given me the the things that people will benefit from after they deal with you and that is so much of what you do isn't it it is yeah I mean you talk then about what people get after um, you've done it I mean for anyone listening to this if I could give just one piece of advice to anybody it's the word afters that you just mentioned um, if you were a website company you might think everybody wants your websites and you go look at our websites some of them are red and some of them are green but nobody really wants the website but after the website their business is going to make more sales. So I don't want your website, I just want more sales. If you go and see a barrister or an attorney, you think, oh, look at me, I'm a barrister and I'm an attorney. We don't want the barrister or the attorney, but after seeing her, we're no longer going to jail. So it's really weird, like anything at all in life, nobody wants the thing, they want why they're better off after the thing. So devastating though it is for us, nobody wants to listen to you and me banging on about something. What they want is to hear it and afterwards to have some new ideas that they can use. So once you realize your job, whatever you do is not to do stuff, it is to cause stuff after you've done it, well, everything then changes. So if someone says to me, Andy, we want you to do a training thing for us, I'll say, okay, why? What do you want to happen afterwards? And they go, well, we want you to talk about X, Y, Z. And I go, I'm sure you do, but what do you want to happen after I've talked about it? Why are we even here? And all of a sudden what happens is the conversation is not about me and my thing and my past but the conversation is about them and their thing and their future, which is really where we should be speaking. So afters drives everything, obviously. But when you have a look at how people communicate, they don't tend to talk about that very much or indeed at all. Yeah, we certainly don't. And if, if we're thinking about afters for this podcast, I think it is somebody goes away with a number of areas that they can implement within their life to improve their communication, improve what they do within their business or in their, and in their career. And that's a, a really a, a noble aim for us by the end of this. And I'm sure we're going to manage that, Andy. But I would love to go back to where did your interest in communications come from? Because you've now developed this expertise. You're now, as you said, the, the old man who's going to shout down the, down the <laughs> mic at us about, about, about a few different things and, and are so experienced. But where did that all begin? So it started... Well, I'll give you the boring corporate story in a minute, but I'll start off with a more interesting personal one. Um, my mum's blind, um, can't see anything. Uh, she lost her sight when she was eight. I'm blind in the left eye. We have a thing called stickler syndrome, if, if you or anybody cares. What it basically means is occasionally you can lose your sight when you're younger. I was lucky I only lost it in one eye. Three of my four kids have got stickler syndrome, but we've done preventative surgery, so, so hopefully their eyesight's okay. 
Why am I telling you this? Because the person who told me to speak, my mum, can't see. Now, I imagine when you were taught to speak, Colin, and most people listening to this, they were probably taught to speak by someone sighted. Now, I teach my children um, to communicate when they were little, and I would say, over there, there's a cow. Can you see cow? Say cow. Whereas mum, of course, didn't know the cow was there. So she didn't teach me the way that most people are taught to communicate. She taught me, in effect, through description. So I became hardwired to thinking of the other person's point of view. How can I explain this thing so she gets it? Now, in business, we might not talk to someone who is literally blind, but they are, um, if you like, mentally blind to your point of view. They don't see the world from your point of view. If you work in sales, they don't see why they should see you. Or if they do see you, they don't see why they should give you any money. Or they don't see why they should return your call. If you've got a boss, the boss might not see why she should even listen to you. And you just have to run away and do the technical stuff for her. So the fact that nobody else sees the world the way that we do, well, that's where I've got this sort of passion for it and hopefully some skills about it as well, because everything is always, yeah, but what do they need? Yeah, but what do they need? I yeah. think and the boring corporate credentials, I've won awards and written books. But the mum story thing's better. Yeah, and it gives you that perspective from a young age and that unique experience. And I, I see this as a trend and a kind of golden thread throughout a lot of the guests where their experience um, when they were younger and the things that they maybe found that they were good at or extremely challenged with became things that they started to coach people with and started to teach on to others because of the kind of unique perspectives and life experiences that they gained. And I've heard you speak about the beach ball before. Where did you learn that analogy? So I learned that from um, a guy called Paul McGee, um, who's brilliant. Um, he's written loads of books, all bestsellers. He's a top, top guy. And um, one of the, his most famous book is called SUMO, S-U-M-O, which stands for Shut Up, Move On. So he's a really good guy. I like him a lot. And he introduced me and many others to the concept of the beach ball. And what he means by that, Colin, is if you imagine a beach ball floating in between us. Now, you know, a beach ball has got six colored segments in it. Well, you can see your side of the beach ball. So you think this thing's red, white and blue because they're the only three colors you can see. I think it's yellow, green and orange because that's my side of the beach ball. We're both correct, but also we're both wrong in that I don't think it's red, white and blue because I can't see those colors. And so the analogy that Paul makes here is replace the word beach ball and put it um, email, I might send you an email which I think is glorious and colourful and robust and scientific and thorough and everything, but your side of the beach ball is it's just really dull. Yeah, and sometimes with salespeople, they have an opening slide that says, we were founded in 1922 and here's a map of our offices and we think it's conveying gravitas and history and size, and the other side of the beach ball is, why are you telling me how old you are? And so... All that Paul's saying about, I say, oh, it's an amazing, magical point. What Paul is saying here about communication is that we see the world from our side of the beach ball. Someone else isn't standing next to us. They're on the other side of the beach ball. So it's not an adversarial thing. It's just different. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. So our skills have to be to see what it's like from their side of the beach ball and communicate accordingly. Yeah. In the world that we currently live in as well, there's a lot of people who have their particular worldview or the lens that they view everything through. So these three colors on the beach ball for them. And mm -hmm. there's no nuance beyond that. Like if we look at social media, Twitter in particular, people just tearing each other to bits over all the big topics of the day, COVID, vaccines, mm -hmm. lockdowns, um, four day work week, which we'll get onto all these different topics where people have very entrenched positions by not acknowledging that there's even another side or another perspective that might have been formed by different experiences, we do really shut ourselves off from 
understanding. And if we transfer that over into the business world as you've done, then it's very difficult for us to come to a, a mutually agreeable win-win situation, which is obviously the outcome of a lot of business transactions that we look for. So I, I guess, how do you look to implement this understanding of what the beach ball looks like into how we actually communicate? Well, I mean, it depends on the situation, but but a simple way to start is when you're talking to someone, remember the phrase, tell me more, because people don't do that. So let's say you and I have a conversation. You say, oh, Andy, I didn't have a good day at work. My boss was a bit shouty with me. And I say, oh, yeah, my boss shouts at me sometimes. Well, I don't like it. And you say, yeah, I know he was ever so unfair. I just didn't think it was right. And I say, yeah, it's not right when mine does it as well. And what happens is we both think we're having this really nice conversation. We're not. We're both having parallel monologues. You're talking about your work with your manager. I'm talking about my work and my manager. Neither of us gives a toss about the other person's story. So the best way to do it is with phrases like, tell me more. So you say, Andy, I've had a bit of a bad day. I've got a bit of a shouty manager. And I go, I'm sorry to hear that. Tell me more. What happened? Well, Andy, and now I'm listening. And then I can use other question words like, so why did that happen? Like, when did that happen? God, how did you feel about that? God, that sounds rubbish, doesn't it? And so people don't do that. So let's use another um, thing, which is without trying to date this podcast, who knows what was going to be happening in a couple of weeks time. Boris Johnson and his lovely Downing Street parties. Let's say you just think, oh, he's just a lovable cad having a bit of fun. And I think, you what? Then what happens is this. You say, oh, he's just a lovable cad having a bit of fun. And I say, you what? And you go, well, no, don't be like that. Andy. He's got a very hard job and he wanted cheese and he wanted wine. And he got ambushed by cake. And I'm saying, yes, but when this happened last year. And so it's one of these that we think we're listening to the other person, but we're having two parallel monologues. So I don't think that about Boris Johnson. Tell me more, Colin. Why do you think that? Help me understand your point of view. I'm not listening so I can then correct you. I'm listening because I desperately want to understand it. And one of my favorite phrases to say is, I'd never thought about it like that. Help me understand why you say that. I love it. I love listening to other people's points of view. Now, if you don't passionately love it. So I once heard someone saying that Twitter is a bit like just writing on toilet walls. You know, you just sort of say, I don't like crisps or something like on a toilet wall. And people do the same sort of thing on Twitter. Well, I like crisps. Oh, you're one of those, are you? And again, parallel monologues. Yeah, those are brilliant examples. And I think, as, as I said, in this day and age where we do just seem to shout back and forth into the void, like Twitter, where people are just so black and white in what their thoughts are. I love that you've got these phrases like, tell me more, or I hadn't seen it from that point of view. Yeah, help and, me understand. Yeah, yeah. And as a, as a podcast host, um, it's quite an interesting situation where I don't always want to push back on a guest if I maybe massively disagree with what they say, because I've spent a lot of time sliding into their their inbox or their dms on linkedin or instagram and trying to arrange a podcast and when i have them on i want to hear their point of view and i don't want to shout it down but phrases like oh i hadn't considered that what why is it you feel that way that enables me to continue the conversation without me necessarily critiquing what they say but actually just diving a little bit deeper and getting a little bit more information because you could have somebody that's on a very extreme end of the spectrum that's just putting forward their view and they might be a very interesting guest but if they don't substantiate and give you a bit more background then it really is just those kind of headline rants that we that we see so it's very hard to understand perspective so I love that use of diving a little bit deeper to understand maybe why they see the colors on the other side of the beach ball that they do. Mm -hmm. I think beyond that I would say when we go into the corporate world what are some of the communications that we do daily or weekly that you would advocate that we stop or what improvements can we make to them? 
Oh, God. Um, update meetings. I hate them almost to the point of violence. Like, you know, when uh, what's going to happen is we're going to have a meeting with our uh, 10 people. Um, right, Albert, what did you do last week? Give us an update. Albert talks for 10 minutes. And we all hate Albert anyway. And what he does is nothing to do with us. Beryl, what about you? Then she talks for five minutes. And then Uncombs, I was going to say Colin, then someone else beginning in C. Christopher then comes in and Christopher does his thing. And we all know Christopher always talks for 20 minutes if he's not been doing anything because he tries to cover it up. He just sit there thinking, this is just a history lesson and I don't care about or like any of you. I just can't stand them. So anyone listening to this, if you have update meetings and you like them, fill your boots and carry on. Anyone who's listening to them and has regular update meetings with the team and doesn't like them, you might like to consider doing one of these things. Number one, stop having them. That's the best one. Number two, halve them. So halve the duration or halve the frequency or halve the people who go. Another one, uh, what I call best next help. And what I mean by that, Colin, best next help. If you say to me, Andy, give us an update. How was your week? If I do a 20-minute rant, in minute number one, you're thinking, I don't care about this at all. I wish I hadn't asked. But if I say 30 seconds instead with my best next help, you say, Andy, give us an update. How's your week gone? I go, Colin, it's been really good, thanks. Best thing is I did this podcast with Cole. That was really good. Love that one. Uh, next week, my main thing I'm looking at is this. Uh, and the one thing I could do with a bit of help with, actually, Colin, is could you help me out with this? Now, just in those three sentences, my best thing, my next thing, the thing I want help with, best next help, best next help, you can see in 30 seconds, you've got a pretty good understanding of what's been going on in my life to the level that you care about it. Yeah? You might want to ask me some questions about my best or my next, and you might want to offer some help. But you can see that if you did that 30 seconds and I did that for 30 seconds, and then we had a quick chat about it, we finished in five minutes and it was cool. I don't need a one hour history lesson. Can't stand them. Yeah, we're a lot more um, engaged as well there, Andy, because you've actually asked me for help as well. Whereas if you do just uh -huh. do an update, and you tell me about all the calls you made last week or all the meetings you had, there's not really an opportunity for me to offer any value. So you have people, like you say, sitting on the line of a 10-person sales call update where you're all giving your activity. It's a bit of a dick measuring competition to see who's got the most in their funnel. And then you get to a stage where nobody's listening at all. They're probably checking their emails during it. And it's one of those calls that's in the diary that everyone dreads. Oh, I, ju I just hate them. I just think they're pointless. I mean, as I say, anyone listening to this, well, there'll be some people who go, yes, they might be boring, but we need them. And they go, yeah, but do you need them in that format? Can't you reduce something? Can't you do best next help? Can't you just say, um, I want you to tell me your uh, deal that's going best and the deal that's going worst. I mean, if you don't like best next help, go best worst next. I mean, choose your words, but don't give someone the general thing like update. That's something I hate. You want another thing I hate? FYI. If someone sends me an email called FYI, I think FYI stands for fill your inbox. Like, why have you sent me this? Like, do you want me to, what do you want me to do with it? Uh, read it, file it, bid it, uh, save it, not save it, forward it on. Uh, FYI, I can't stand it. Then again, sometimes people say, yes, but sometimes I do send it FYI. I said, but if I have eight different emails all called FYI from eight different people, am I supposed to read this? I don't know. From my side of the beach ball, I don't know what you mean by FYI compared to what she means by FYI compared to what he means by FYI. But what I do know is about all of you, I hate you all. All right, so things like update, FYI, um, salespeople who start with, we were founded in 1922 and is the map of our offices. But you know what? Rather than things that people shouldn't do, here's things that people should do. Any communication at all, the, most, the two most important things to get right at the start and the end, right? The keyword with the start is it's got to be engaging. So the start has got to be engaging. So not enough people focus on this. Think about it. When you communicate, you start as your first impression. So your first impression has got to be engaging. Otherwise, people don't engage. That's why newspapers have headlines which have interesting headlines. Otherwise, every single newspaper headline would always be called more news. 
but it's not. They have like interesting headlines to engage people to read the thing. And if you're doing an email, if you send me an email called FYI, that's not engaging. If you call me and send me an email and it says Andy, comma our podcast dash a quick question dot dot dot. I see Andy, thought, oh, we're talking about me. Hour, that's nice. Podcast, yes, I am doing that. And then you've got a quick, I think, oh, quick, that's nice. And then you don't even tell me what the question is. So I'm totally engaged. I fall into the email because I want to see what you're talking about. So the start has got to be engaging. Uh, and the end, the key thing with an end is you always want to ask someone to do something. So with any communication at all, the end you want to call to action. So if you end an email, for example, like most people do, nobody will ever do anything because you don't ask them to do anything. So the most common way to end an email, Colin, is people say, and should you have any questions, please don't hesitate to call. And people think, well, I haven't got any questions, so I'm not doing anything. Um, if people do PowerPoint presentations, very often the last slide says, thanks for listening. And the audience goes, um, you're very welcome. Now get out. And um, what you really should do at the end of your email is you should ask someone to do something. So you say, Colin, please can you send me the date of the webinar and then I can do this. Or if I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation, my final slide should say next steps, please do this, please do that. So a bit ranty this, so I'll shut up in a second, but let me just summarize with the four words I've just said. Start, engage, end, do. And if anyone wants to go for some homework, go and have a look at the five most recent emails you send with the titles engaging. And did you end by asking someone to do something? I know it sounds obvious, but most people don't. I, I love that as advice, Andy. And in terms of my open rates for particularly cold emails and getting podcast guests on um, in, in this kind of side project stuff that I do, having engaging um, subjects on the email is a total game changer. Whereas if you put um, something really, really dull and, 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 and standard, you just become another name at the top of their inbox that ends up either with this beautiful little black cross thing that you click and it gets rid of it or it just gets filed to get read at some point in the near future when they're less busy and the, the truth of the matter is that they're never really less busy and um, when it comes to that kind of thing so i've certainly found that extremely actionable the the do part i think is harder for some people because they do send so many emails that are designed purely as almost like a a tick box either maybe regulatory exercise or it's a follow-up to a meeting where they're like and i'll do this and i'll do that and there's very little ask of the other customer so i went to see one of my clients yesterday in birmingham and thinking of some of the lessons that i've learned from people like yourself over the years making sure that i get some sort of commitment from the client as well to actually do something even if it's something small can add to the value at the end of the email because otherwise it is just a big trail of all the things that i've discuss with them during the meeting and that's good from a regulatory perspective to have that information but like you say having an ask at the end it actually builds their reason to read to the end as well and i think as humans we're also designed to lose um our attention during that middle piece hmm. and focus yeah. just on skimming down and be like what am i being asked to do here because often we see these huge long screens of text yeah and that's why i like this idea about call to action because i know that some people will say yeah but sometimes we have a meeting and it's just to update everybody i think yeah do you no one, anyone to take any action whatsoever as a result of that. Because if you don't want any action, like why are you having the update? Or why does it need to last an hour? Or why do you need 75 people at it? Or why? So people just don't think. So it's almost like, let's use a different, because I don't want people to think this is only about emails. or So let's choose something like a proposal. All right. So say you're writing a proposal to a potential customer. And um, going to what I said before, start, engage, end with the do. So start engaging. You want your title of your proposal to be interesting. Most titles of proposals aren't. So it gets called, our proposal, which is already interesting. But if, I, if I'm if i talking to you and I know you want to export into Belgium, if I call it our proposal, colon, how I'll help you export into Belgium, well, you're now interested, right? Um, if, uh, 
I was talking to someone the other day and they do financial services and they had something they call the financial report and they sent it to the client. And I said, put the client's main priority on the title. And so what they did is they sent it out and it was now called Andy's financial report to ensure you can retire before you're 60. Well, financial report sounds really boring. Retiring before I'm 60 sounds epic. So what you want is you always want an engaging thing, but even something like a proposal, it's very easy to have a big ranty. This is everything we've just agreed. But if you think of the word do, what do what do you want me to do after this? You want me to accept the proposal. All right. So how do I accept the proposal? Um, we sign page three and get it back to me. So there needs to be something that says to accept this proposal, please sign page three and get it back to me. But I know it sounds obvious, but people don't do it. So they have this thing called our proposal. And then the final section says summary of the benefits of working with us. And they don't say it'll help you retire at 59. And they don't say sign page three. So people don't open the thing because it sounds boring. And then they don't act on it anyway. So yeah. I, I do what I said about ranting. I have a right rant about this. I'm bringing it right back. Over to you, Colin. No, I, I, I love it, Andy. And um, I guess you've given examples there for emails and proposals, which I think are really valuable. What about for, for presentations? Okay, presentations. So again, start, engage, end with the do. So what you want is on your opening slide, you want something that the audience goes, now that sounds cool. And you either put it in the title and or the subtitle. So I was talking to someone the other day and they, um, one of the things they do is they train Excel, you know, the spreadsheet thing. And people were coming to a course and it was called Excel Intermediate. And he said, there is nothing engaging about Excel Intermediate. I mean, it's not even advanced, it's only intermediate, it's Excel. And I said, we'll put a subtitle on. Um, and he goes like, what? I said, well, what's the main benefit of attending? He said, well, they'll know how to use Excel. I said, nobody wants that. What happens after they use Excel? So, well, they use Excel. So why is that good? So I kind of saying, why is that good? Why is that good? Why is that good? And eventually the person I was speaking to almost screamed because they'll save at least two hours every week. And I go, there's your subtitle. So it's now called Excel Intermediate and a subtitle, how you can save two hours every week. And so that's how you make the title engaging. You either put it in the overall title, Excel dash save two hours, or you put it in a subtitle. So it's called Excel Intermediate and then it's called How to Save Two Hours a Room. Yeah. Then when you go to the final slide, what you want on the final slide is the do. You want the final slide is what you want people to do next. So you might head it up with next steps and then you say what you want your audience to do. Or if you don't know what the next steps are going to be, because sometimes, Colin, it's, we don't know what the actions are going to be until the presentation's finished. In that case, your final slide should say next steps, question mark. Yep. So if you know what you want them to do, say next steps, do X. And if you don't know what you want to do, call it next steps, question mark. But can you see if we ended a present, if I end a presentation to you and my final slide says next steps, question mark, I can then say to you, so based on what we've agreed today, Colin, what do you think our next step should be? But if my final slide says, thanks for listening, you'll probably show me a slide that says, and thanks for talking, now leave. Yeah, and then you have no idea whether you're going to progress. And I think that happens to a lot of salespeople where we do this pitch and then there's no agreed deadline for when it comes to come back to you. There's no agreed next steps. And we go into this kind of email, ping pong, tennis, whatever term you want to use, where you're going back and forth saying, have you had a chance to look at my proposal yet? Have you had a chance to review what we, what we agreed? Whereas if you've got next steps, question mark, we leave the opportunity to say, well, in terms of the next steps, you can let me know by Friday whether we progress with this or whether you want us to make any amends or whether you're going to go down a different route. And you agree maybe when your next phone call is going to be, when your next meeting is going to be, and you actually put in concrete uh, something that's going to move forward. So I love that finality to a presentation versus, like you say, that classic, thanks for listening. If you've got any questions, please let me know. Yeah, I'll leave it with you. Give me a tinkle when you're ready. That can't be doing with that. And sometimes people hear this and they go, Andy, that sounds a bit... 
abrupt and I go, yeah, but I don't think it does really, because if you think of the scale passive aggressive, aggressive would be ring me up or I'm going to smash your face in. I think that is needlessly aggressive. But passive is thank you very much for listening. It's been just a privilege to be here. And people think you have to be passive to be polite. No, you don't. If your final slide says next steps, what do you think we should do now, Colin, after our chat? That's not rude. Yeah. Do an action or I'll smash your face in is rude. But what do you think we should do next, Colin? How can I best help you going forward? And then sometimes what I'll do, you said about having a follow-up call on Friday. What I'll sometimes do is I use the phrase telephone tennis. And I'll say, um, I'll tell you what, let's avoid telephone tennis um, with our follow-up chat. Why don't we just quickly agree now when we should have a follow-up call? We could bang it in the dark, just five minutes, but then at least that way we don't hit each other's voicemail. I don't know anyone who says, no, I like playing telephone tennis, thanks. You know, so at least that way you get control and you've got an action and you've got a follow-up date booked in. It's just so much more likely to work. Yeah, undoubtedly. And it, like you say, that that is the, the kind of wasteland where deals go to die, isn't it? With that period afterwards where you think you gave a good presentation, but you haven't actually had any concrete feedback. You've not even asked for it. So how can you expect it beyond actually putting something concrete? So anyone that's listened to the podcast so far feels that energy and enthusiasm you've got, Andy, but how can we channel enthusiasm when it comes to influencing others to maybe do what we want or to go in a direction that we'd like them to? So one thing you have to have in my experience for myself and with my other customers as well is for you to transmit any sort of positivity, you've got to feel pretty positive yourself. And positivity comes from one of three things, either what you like, what you do or what you cause. Or, so what you like is your behaviours and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, what you do, you know, do you love your job? Uh, and then what you cause, using my words, afters. So if you think about what we're doing here, I'm quite a positive chap because I'm like that. Um, what I do, uh, I enjoy conversations. I'm enjoying this conversation with you. That's all good. But the thing that juices me more than anything is what it causes. So one of the reasons I get so passionate about my stuff is even if I don't actually care about PowerPoint presentations, though I do quite like them because I'm a bit nerdy. I really care about the fact that if people follow my advice, they're going to save themselves like half a day a week or something, yeah? And so what I would suggest to anyone listening here is your best chance of getting other people to be positive is if you can transmit positivity. And the best way for you to transmit positivity is to find your positive center, which sounds a bit cheesy. Are you personally like that? And or do you love what you do? And or do you love what you cause? So my Excel intermediate trainer, I don't think wakes up in the morning thinking, it's today, I'm doing Excel intermediate. But they could get much more juiced if they're going to help every single person in the room save two hours a week. Yeah, exactly that. It gets them much more fired up because the, what they're achieving for other people is of higher value than, for example, being better at doing spreadsheets. It's just not, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's all about language. And I think how we talk to ourselves as much as anything is a big role in that and I think self-talk is something that many people get so far wrong it can be extremely negative so for you to flip the language that we use internally to then project that externally has a lot, a lot of value so I'm, I'm very pleased that you raised that have you got any other examples of that from some of the clients that you've had uh, God, yeah millions um, I'll give you another one which a lot number of customers have said they found helpful um, when you ask people how they view something like I might say like can you so we said before which we might talk about later about stopping working Friday so I've not worked Fridays for about 10 years so there might be some people who hear this and go Joe I'd like quite like not to work Fridays so if I was to throw it over uh, and over the hedge and say so can you start working Fridays there are three basic answers to that one of them is no because 
So no, because I can't do it. No, because uh, I'm not allowed. No, because I've set up in business. If I stop working Fridays, my business shrinks by a fifth. No, because I don't think I should. No, because I might let my customers down. No, because I think I need to go down the pit eight hours a day. Whatever it might be, it's so easy to think no, because. The second answer to this, I said there are three. One of them is no, because. The second one is it depends. It depends if someone lets me. It depends if I can sort my mind out. It depends on it. Depends. And before I tell you the third option, so obviously I prefer the third option, even though you don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't like no because because it comes self, it becomes self fulfilling. Yeah. Um, so can you can you start working Fridays? No because by the time you said two or three no becauses, the negative cycle takes in, and it's just it's literally impossible for you to start working Fridays. If you say it depends, that's better than no because, because at least there's a bit of a chance. But the trouble with it depends. It means you've delegated responsibility to things that aren't you. So can you personally, Colin, stop working on Friday? Well, it depends on other things, nothing to do with me. Well, I don't like it depends because it means I've got no control over that. I always think my life is my fault. Yeah, it's not about, it doesn't sound very happy that, but I like it. My life is my fault. So if I have a good day, my fault. If I have a bad day, my fault. My life is my fault. So the third way of thinking, I don't like no because I don't like this um, idea of it depends. My prefer, much preferred way of thinking is what I call yes if. So can I stop working Fridays? Yes, if I change how I do my diary. Yes, if I block out my diary Friday night to five so nothing else can go in it. Yes, if I speak to my customers and say, I've had a change of business model. I'm now not going to be available Friday. Let's plan ahead to make sure I never let you down and we get stuff sorted Monday and Thursday. Yes, if I have someone who can hold me to account for doing it. Yes, if I have a coach who can help me. Yes, if I change my pricing structure so I'll still get paid the same in four days as I did in five. Yes, if, yes, if. And all of a sudden, you think, oh, this is virtually impossible for it not to work. And the person who taught me this yes, if mentality, I read about it, um, Walt Disney, as in not the company, the man. Um, according to this book I read, he was very much like that. Can we build Disneyland? Yes, if we get somebody else to pay for it. Yes, if there's good transport links. Yes, if we partner with a TV studio or give us free advertising for nine months. Yes, if, yes, if, yes, if, yes, if, yes, if. And I would like to humbly submit that if he can build Disneyland, then you can probably stop working Fridays if you want to. Yes, and I'm such a huge advocate of personal responsibility. And I think mm -hmm. yes, if is the embodiment of that when it comes to answering a question about doing something that's potentially unlikely given your previous background or, or things that you've done before. And when you take control and you buck that trend and you stop things like it depends because that relies so much on other people and others having control and you taking control there. And of course, Walt Disney was being practical because he was exploring the financial implications, the support that he would need from other partners, but it was all within his own sort of control where he was saying, yes, but if I can make this happen, then of course this can happen. Not it depends if this happens because some divine force will, will, will allow it to happen. So I find that very, very interesting. Um, one of the other things that I've heard you speak around in terms of communications and sales is the, the three Ds. How do you apply that when it comes to things like follow-ups? The three what, sorry? Three Ds. Have I caught you by surprise, Andy? Because I remember you speaking about three Ds when it comes to follow-ups and it was to do with things like deadlines, and uh oh yeah sorry I've, I've turned that into two d's now so uh, no, so three d's here we go so more efficient though 
Yeah, well, more efficient, but I've missed a really important one out clearly. So here we go. So here's the 3D. So with follow-up, um, there are three things you need. Number one um, is, is the point that we've just sort of said, you need to actually get some deadlines in. Uh, the second D you need is diary. And by that, some sort of reminder. So let's say you've had a really good conversation and you agree what the option is and you get the deadline for it, that's good. That's the first D. But if the deadline's a week on Thursday, you might forget a week on Thursday. So you need to put something in the diary to remind you to do it. And if you need to do some sort of action, you might need to block out half an hour or an hour, whatever the time is to make sure you do it. So yes, you need the deadline. The second D is the diary. And the third D is discipline. And what I mean by discipline is when your diary entry comes up, you have the discipline to do it. I've seen so many people who want to make some change. And when they want to make change, let's say they want to, I don't know, stop eating cake. So they put in the diary, stop eating cake. And then what happens is this diary entry comes in saying, stop eating cake. And they go, oh, God, fancy cake. And they just dismiss it. Oh, I've seen people do a similar thing. I want to stop working Fridays. So they have a diary entry. It says on Friday, don't do any work today. And it comes up and they just dismiss it and do work. So having the deadline and having the diary is one thing, but you absolutely need the discipline to do it. And very often, much as we'd love it, people don't always have the discipline for everything. Like, so some people are very disciplined about X, but they're not about Y. Yeah. So the advice that you always want to give with that is with discipline, it's not up to you to have your own discipline all the time. You might need someone else. Um, so, for example, when I know that mm, that's the sort of thing I could press dismiss, I will always ask someone to hold me to account. It might be my PA, it might be my business coach, it might be my wife, it might be my kids, it might be my colleagues, it might be my customer, but I need somebody else involved if I think when that comes up, I'm pressing dismiss. So the three Ds are deadline, know when you want it done for. Secondly, get it in the diary. And thirdly, you and or someone else needs to make sure you have the discipline not to delete it when the diary reminder comes up. Yeah, I love those. And I think when it comes to the diary, it reminds me quite a lot of a recent guest. Are you familiar with Naya Rial? He wrote a book called mm -hmm. Indistractable. Mm -hmm. um, so Naya was on recently and he was speaking about time blocking out because I've loved for a long time a, a written to-do list. But of yeah. course, um, the kind of nature of human beings is the work that we have expands to the time that we have available to us. And if you're logged yeah. on, for example, nine till five, Monday to Friday, of course that to-do list expands out even if somebody like yourself, Andy, is completing a similar to-do list in a Monday to Thursday timeframe and time blocking out that, for example, of course, we're recording this podcast for this particular hour segment, but afterwards, the, the appointment that's in afterwards, there needs to be real discipline to that, whereas it's much easier to turn up for the one where somebody's going to be there and you're held accountable. You have to be on the Zoom call at this particular time, but that, that um, next appointment might be send three prospecting emails to potential podcast guests, Colin. And I might think, oh, well, I might dismiss that. Whereas that mm. discipline element is that, that third D that comes in and actually ensures that we, we live the life that we intend to and we take action on the things that we told ourselves that we would actually do. Yeah, and if you need someone to help you have that discipline, that is absolutely not a weakness. That is absolutely fine. If anything's a weakness, it is not getting help. Yeah. So every single person who's listening to this and you and I, I'm sure are the same. There've been some things we started off with good intentions and we've fallen by the wayside. It might be something which we might think is relatively petty. I don't know, like flossing your teeth or something, or it might be something really important, like stopping working Fridays or spending more time with the children or whatever, whatever anybody's thing is. And um, so all of us can fall by the wayside of it. These things happen, but getting someone else to help you is really important. 
So every month, every couple of months, I see um, a lady, I don't know if you call her counsellor, therapist, whatever it is, but it's just someone who keeps me on it all the time. So when I speak to her, she always says about, you know, best next help, like what's going best and what's your next and how can I help you and so on. And I really like that. I'm not one of these who waits till my life is devastatingly bad before I ring her up. You know, it's like the Kennedy quote, you fix the roof when the sun's shining, right? So I want to see this lady as often as I can because she just keeps me really on it. And I've told her my mentality is yes, if I've told her that everything is to do with um, me and my empowerment and it's my job to spread um, energy and advice to help people have their afters. And I can't do that if I don't have energy and advice, blah, 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 because I know on my own I can't do these things. And I think it is a massive strength of mine that I seek help from others. Yeah, it just uh, we'll put a pin in it, but that's one of my favorite quotes as well. Fix the roof while the sun's shining, and I certainly yeah. try apply that from many perspectives because if the podcast's in growth, it's it's really important that I maybe work on some of the things that people are giving me feedback on in terms of my delivery, my questions, my social media promotion. But I shouldn't wait until perhaps I see a, a drop in subscribers or a drop in yeah. a, a drop in downloads before I start thinking, oh shit, maybe there's something that I need to do. But equally, the fact that you outsource this ability for you to maybe have a check-in with somebody to help you continue to upgrade and perform at your best. I, I think that's a, something that so many people will get on board with. And equally, as somebody that is a, a coach and a consultant themselves, if you didn't believe in that process, then it may be challenging for you to go with the positivity that you do and the enthusiasm you do to sell mm -hmm. your services. Yeah, so it's just all part of the authentic mix, right? And, and we do this, I, I, I understand the mentality of it, but when we think about it, we will often, like some people, I don't know, might have a, a cleaner in their house. It's not that they couldn't clean it, but they're just not that good. They haven't quite got the time for it. They don't have the cleaning equipment. And this cleaner is an expert, could do it in two hours. Um, they might have somebody who, I don't know, cleans the car for them. They might have someone who, they might get a cardo or somebody to bring the shopping around. So, so we're used to paying for experts. It's like with dentists. You don't like going it with a coat hanger, do you? You go to a dentist and it costs you a little bit of money, but that's fine. So you're paying a bit of money, small compared to the grief it would cause you if you took a coat hanger to your mouth, but you go, you pay a bit for expertise. And if you're paying for um, or investing time and or money in expertise for things like cleaners, dentists, Ocado, whatever it might be, it seems very sensible to me to invest however that looks for you in someone to help you change if you want to. Um, so I have this counselor, I have a PA, I have a business coach. Um, the way we set the business up, although I'm the thing that our customers see and pay for, uh, I'm not the boss of it, my wife's the boss of it. Um, and so I'm accountable to her and I have to talk to her about the numbers and the figures and all these sorts of things. And it, I love it. You know, I really absolutely love it. We're very lucky we've got a garden and we're really, really lucky we've got a guy called Rob who does the garden for us. Um, it costs more money than not using Rob. But if I had to do it, we wouldn't have a garden anymore because we would have absolutely patioed the whole lot because I hate gardening. <laughs> and you've made I don't want the discipline to garden. I want, my, I want the afters of a nice garden, but I don't want to do it myself. I can't believe with all these young people we got listening to this, I'm banging on about a gardener for me garden. But you know what I mean, right? You do the thing you want to do and you delegate the stuff you're not very good at to somebody or something else to help you. Yeah, and you gave the cleaning example, and that was one of the big changes for me that I decided to outsource that for a, a fraction of what I would, in terms of what the value of the time back for me resulted in, mm -hmm. because I'm able to do a podcast episode every week rather than make sure my flat's clean for two mm -hmm. three hours a week. And guess what? The cleaner does it better than I would as well, just like Rob the gardener. Yeah. And it's definitely worth it. Now, totally we, love Rob. 
we've touched on it throughout, but you managed to no longer work Fridays for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the big fear for a lot of people, you said it yourself, is that your business would shrink by a fifth because you've reduced your working hours by that amount. What mm-hmm. were some of the things that you did to ensure that revenue not only stayed where it was, but has increased as it has for you? Yeah, okay. So I'll tell you the end result of it to start with, because I think that helps position my answer. So the end result is I stopped working on Fridays and my business grew by a third. So it's not that it didn't shrink, it actually grew, which makes no sense at all. Um, and I say that because it puts in this into context so you can hear, so this stuff works. The first thing I did is I forensically analyzed every single thing I did and I asked myself, could I stop doing that or reduce doing that or do it in a better way? So every single thing. And so for example, let's say I was going to have a meeting with someone and they were half an hour away. I'd have half hour to get to them a meeting which you'd usually do the best part of an hour because they always are for some reason. And then it'd be about half an hour coming back. So that took two hours. And if I did like five of those in a week, that's 10 hours. And I thought if I can somehow stop doing those, that's 10 hours. That means I don't work Fridays anymore. Um, and then of course I had a look and I thought, well, I have some internal meetings and they take 30 minutes. What if I could get it down to 15 minutes? And then I do this every week. What if I did it for every two weeks? And I just asked myself the question, not can I justify doing what I'm doing at the minute? Cause you can justify anything. I flipped it around and asked a negative question. If I stopped or reduced that, would it do any harm? Yeah, would it do any harm if I stopped and reduced that? And what I found was I was able to get rid of many, many hours and replace it in a different way. So instead of those five meetings that took two hours each, I turned each of them into 20-minute phone call. So I had five 20-minute phone calls, which is five times 20. What's that? 100. So that took 100 minutes instead of doing five times two hours, which was 10 hours. So there you go. That is almost my Friday done. And I didn't lose anything because I still had the connection. And when I went through all that, that was the first thing I did. And I found huge time savings. But I said there were two things. And the second thing I did, and everyone could do the first one, but not everybody would choose to do the second. Um, Because I got my own business, I looked at my pricing model. And the way I used to price, I used to price based on time. So if somebody wants me for a day, my day rate is this. If I speak at a conference, the hour rate is this. And what I quickly realized, and it sounds rather obvious when you put it this way, is two things. Firstly, it means my earnings are finite because there's a finite amount of time. Um, And secondly, it puts me in conflict with the client because clients want quick success. So uh, I'm always tempted if they're paying by the hour to say, do you know what? You need more hours. And they want, I just want the answer now. They go, oh, if you just gave me 10 more hours, it would be fine. So I thought I've got a problem here because I've got finite earnings and I'm doing something that puts me in conflict with the client. So I rethought my pricing strategy so I started pricing based on different things and go into that sort of thing if you want. But the combination of was forensically analyzing my time and then changing my pricing model. I stopped working a fifth of the time and then my business grew by a third. It was those two, time, pricing model. Yeah, and when you were cutting away some of the deadwood, one of the things that um, sets out to me that may have been a more challenging conversation for you would be things like seeing customers face-to-face. Um, I think in this current era that we're in a lot of people are very comfortable zoom teams it's fantastic i've been able to produce probably about 80 90 of my podcasts over zoom some of them in the studio for people that are based more locally but it's a fantastic tool but there are still some people that really like to do business face to face how did you manage those conversations to ensure that they were still as happy as a customer when they were maybe only dealing with you virtually for some of the conversations so two things although i stopped doing face-to-face as often as I could. I mean, I didn't ban them 
you know, so if there's someone, A, who wanted to see me, and I mean this nicely, B, for me, they were worth the effort, then that was fine. Uh, so I live um, Merseyside. So if you look at the country, I sort of live at what we're on about nine o'clock. And somebody wanted, uh, who lived over in uh, Leeds Way, so about three o'clock, wanted a meeting with me. So I've got to go right the way across the country. Um, I don't drive, got poor eyesight, so I can't see if I want to drive. Um, and so that journey was going to take me the best part of like two and a half, three hours. Then I was going to have the meeting, then two and a half, three hours. Now, this person was quite important. They wanted face-to-face, -face, blah, 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 blah. But I mean this very nicely, uh, Colin. They weren't worth seven hours of my time. So even though they wanted it, you've just got to be quite, you know, anal about it. And all I would do is I would just say, I'm really keen to see you. I prefer face-to-face -to -face too, but my diary is rammed at the minute. And the only way we can get together is by phone. I understand if you'd rather go with someone local who's face-to-face. -face. I absolutely get that. But if you want us to progress this, we'll just have to go on the phone. I just don't have the capacity. I'm sorry. There's not much you can say about that, really. You're yeah. creating a so little that was one thing. As well. Say again? You're creating a little bit of scarcity as well, which is a yeah, yeah. sales tale, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So that was one thing. And the other thing I did is I uh, worked out with my PA, because often she is my gatekeeper, I suppose, worked out how she would respond if someone got in contact saying they wanted face-to-face. -face. So as well as working out that I, I would go sometimes if it was worth it to me and to them, but also I trained myself and also my gatekeeper how to deal with requests for this. Because I've seen plenty of people go, yes, I probably don't do it, but they don't work out how to say no. And then in the moment, somebody says, will you come and see me? They go, oh, yeah, they, oh, shit, I was supposed to say no to that because they haven't worked out they're going to do it, right? So what we did is we worked out this thing and then um, Emma, my PA, really took it to heart. And she, I've heard her on the phone. I mean, it's quite cheeky slash rude. It's not about the customer, about me. So sometimes people will ring and they'll say, oh, hello, uh, I'd like to speak to Andy. I'd like to organise a face-to-face -face meeting. And Emma would say, um, oh, well, um, okay, how long would you like in the diary? And they'd say, oh, half an hour, if that's okay. And you say, well, the first thing is, the good news, we don't need to take a whole hour because Andy's really quick at stuff like this, so 30 minutes should do it. Um, if you need more, you can always book more later, but like half an hour will be fine. And so people would say, oh, that's very nice of you, thanks very much. And then she would say, um, to be honest, though, if you want face-to-face, -face, his diary is really rammed, so you might not get to see him for a few weeks, so why don't I just put him for tomorrow? You can have a chat with him tomorrow. And so what was happening, Colin, people were saying, oh, that's really nice of me. You're saving me time. You're saving me time. That's really nice. And in effect, they said, I want one hour face to face. And Em said, no chance. You got 30 minutes on the phone. But it sounded lovely. But then this is what I meant by she ran with it a bit too far, I thought, because this guy said to her once, no, I really do prefer face to face. And she said, have you seen his face? Trust me, phone calls better. <laughs> cow. But you know what? We went on the phone. What an effective gatekeeper, though. I love it a bit. And they're called gatekeepers. Sometimes people think, oh, gatekeepers are horrible things. They're called gatekeeper, not gate. Shut it in your face, sir. Like, you know, if you have got some, if someone wants to speak to me and they've got something that is useful to me and or them, she keeps the gate open. Yeah. But one of her jobs is to help people. Um, so not to send me off to Leeds for seven hours when it's not a good use of my time. That's part of her job. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have worked together for long enough for to have a really clear yeah. framework on how to do that. So that's, I think that's such a, a clear way forward for people to see how they can make more use of their time. And even if we are people that work within an organization where we do work nine till five on a Friday, there's so much more we can do within that to be more efficient within those hours as well. And by restricting some of these pointless meetings and being a bit more ruthless with our time, we can certainly uh, Im improve on things. I think you've shared so many different things around communication, perspectives, improving on sales. 
one of the things I'm always keen to ask people that work in sales though is are, are, around the phone and this is the kind of point that we'll maybe close off on but you're a very good communicator Andy how do you feel about prospecting over the phone still do you feel that's still a useful tool for the salesperson and um, for some people not for me um if you mean prospecting as in cold calling strangers um no i don't do that um the person this sounds a bit nepotistic but the person i found who's best at that is my daughter so most people call her megan i just call her child one um she's really good i mean she's got like to the executives of some blue chip company she's really good i so I'm not saying it's not right because it's brilliant for her, but it's not right for me. Um, so I do other things. Um, so it has its place, but not for me. I think your personal brand and your skill set online would act as a, a really good funnel, I suppose. Um, I think so. But do you know what, what I tend to find is people will, with any sort of prospecting, people copy either what they see everybody else do or what someone tells them they should do. And the trouble with that is the only thing you do is you just do what everybody's visible stuff is. So you said that, I mean, I've got quite a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and I've written books and, and I've got my online sales training videos and all that sort of stuff. Um, so people could look at that and go, oh, that's what Andy's marketing is. That it, That's more, it gets me front of mind. It gets me sharing stuff with people. And I like giving away all my free advice. I, it gives me quite a buzz, actually, when I get people saying, God, I can't believe you give all this stuff away for free. And I go, oh, you're very welcome. It's, I, I like it. But actually, most of my business comes from invisible stuff that nobody would ever see. It's talking to existing customers and saying, are you happy with the work we're doing? How else can I help you? If an existing customer moved job, I tend to follow them and say, how's the new job going? Are you settling in okay? How are you hoping to make your mark quickly? Do you think I could help you with that? Oh, I don't know either. Should we have a chat about it? Um, or I might ask a friend if they could introduce me to one of their friends. So I get most of my business by something that nobody would ever see which is using my existing contact sphere. So the LinkedIn and the books and the sales training videos and all that sort of stuff, they definitely are part of my brand. But if I was going to get business, it wouldn't be much from that. The business I get comes from the invisible stuff that nobody sees. Personally, I'm not that good and I don't enjoy cold calling, which is why I don't do it. I'd rather do the things I've just said. Whereas child one, she might post a few things on LinkedIn, but actually she gets her business from picking the phone up. So horses for courses. Yeah, brilliant, Andy. And I think one of the things that you said there that I think is really important to underline is when you're getting these referrals or introductions via your existing network or following around people, when they hear Andy Bounds, they probably search you and you have this incredibly um, reassuring personal brand. So it's not as if they've introduced, they've introduced somebody that, oh, he did some good work for me, but you can never see anything of what he's been up to or who he is so you've got that kind of digital footprint and that reassurance that this guy is the real deal when i do introduce you and i think that's something that a lot of business owners but also sales workers need to have in behind themselves rather than just perhaps these these brilliant networks yeah i would agree with that but a very simple way you can give yourself credibility quickly if you remember these four words facts tell stories sell facts tell story sell so people often try and give credibility by doing a website which lists millions of facts actually if you wanted to do something in about half a day all you do is you just think of the best stories like evidence how good you are so even if you're relatively new at this you know if you can get two or three stories with some quotations on there and people have a look at your one page crappy looking website but it says since we work with andy bounds ourselves went up by eighty thousand pounds since we did this work with Andy Bounds, this happened. When I work with Andy, I stopped working Fridays. I didn't think I could ever do that. Imagine if you just had one page, even if it looks a bit crap like a Word document, you would go, well, he seems to know what he's doing a bit. So this idea of facts tell stories sell, often people can use this as a barrier. 
uh, Colin, and they go, there's nothing I can do to get started without all this visible stuff I see from everybody else. Yeah, Andy, what a note for us to wrap up on. If people want to continue the conversation with you, where should they head towards? Well, LinkedIn's easiest. So it's um, Andy, as in A-N-D-Y, and then Bounds, like out of bounds. Not as I had the other day, someone sent me a note to Andy Bowles. I presumed they were joking, but I wasn't quite sure. So go on LinkedIn. Um, also, there's the sales training videos, but if someone's interested in those, I can just like send them that. LinkedIn's easiest. Fantastic, Andy. That'll be linked in the show notes below. I'm sure you've all enjoyed that. If you have done, please take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story at call.cambro, copy and paste the link to somebody that needs to improve on their communications, and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.